Well, hi. Um, this is Mark Gagan from The Voice of Insurance. I'm here uh, on New Year's Eve uh, chatting with James Vickers, uh, the chair of Willis Re International, ahead of their traditional 1-1, the Willis Re 1-1 uh, renewals report, which is uh, you know the, the def definitive uh, guide to what's been happening at the 1-1 renewals. So uh, without further ado, over to you, James. What's the renewal like being overall? Give us the really big picture. Well, thanks for the opportunity to speak to you, Mark. I think the real overview of the renewal this year has been one about performance. Uh, the capital within the reinsurance industry and also within the primary industry has held up well. So there's not been, other than in a couple of uh, isolated cases which we talk about later in this sort of low-level ILS market, there's not been an issue about capital. It's been very much a question of performance. Um, reinsurers looking very, very carefully at the portfolio of business they're writing, looking at the emerging trends and looking at trying to get back to underwriting profitability. And at the same time, a lot of the big primary companies seeking to address some of the challenges they've had around that. As a result, there's been really quite a wide divergence in the, in, in the renewal. I mean, our market report is called Markets Diverge. It's not easy to pick out any overall trend because, as has been alluded to in the past, the global reinsurance market is really breaking down into a number of smaller cycles specific to class and specific to territory. Um, and that's very, very much what we've seen um, at this renewal season. Um, I've had a sneak preview of some of the report and some of the key words, obviously, divergence, um, judicious, discerning and client-centric through the words that are describing mm. uh, reinsurer behaviour in that renewal. Can you go into detail, a bit more detail about what you mean by that? Well, divergence we touched on earlier, it's the divergence in the, the actual uh, conditions achieved that reinsurers achieved, and that was very, very much more related to the dynamics of the underlying portfolios being protected. Um, a number of classes... Um, certainly a number of longer tail classes in the US and also some outside the US and a number of specialty lines and some traditional property lines, I mean largely that per risk, have not performed very well. Um, and what we've seen in the last 12 to 18 months is the primary market is reacting more quickly to these changes than the reinsurance market. So reinsurers have been very judicious in where they're actually prepared to put their capital um, in terms of looking at the classes of business, looking at the underlying improvements, but most of all, looking at actually the seeding companies. Um, a number of them have developed um, over the last number of years uh, quite close uh, relationships. They've gone down this line of client-centric underwriting and a number of primary companies have embraced that and really worked hard to make their reinsurers partners. And that we've seen pay off at this renewal. Those primary companies who've been able to maintain the trust of their uh, key reinsurance partners have been rewarded with more straightforward renewals and um, an ample supply of capacity. So it's really, there's been plenty of supply still. There's not a supply problem. There isn't really a supply problem. Um, there have been a few areas where we've seen people pull back capacity. Um, some of it 
retro-driven, uh, uh, particularly on some of the property cat side, some of the uh, second-tier markets where people were buying retro covers that gave them additional capacity in some of those markets. Some of those protections are no longer available, so they've tagged back a little bit. We've also seen some people only renewing their signed lines, not their written lines. Um, so they wanted to maintain contact with the client, but they didn't necessarily feel that the terms were attractive enough for them to actually potentially offer at least an increase in lines. So there's been a little bit of that coming back. Um, but by and large, there's been sufficient capacity for buyers to get their covers home. A little bit of adjusting in some areas, particularly in some of the uh, uh, multi-line structures. Um, these became popular in Europe over the last few years, and people wondered whether these were core purchases. The reality is they are core purchases, and when the results haven't been particularly good, primary companies have been prepared to restructure um, these to put them onto a more sustainable basis. So, I mean, how much? It's very interesting. I want to go into this um, idea of discernment and divergence. Um, perhaps the tale of reinsurance renewals uh, past. I mean, let's say three or four years ago would be that once you found the clearing price, then you could just mm -hmm. you could probably place a thing two, three hundred percent. Um, how divergent now are the reinsurers hanging out for, for more? And, 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 you know, how much more divergent was it before? The, this did seem to be a really fantastic consensus before. And, and how that's been broken now, is that right? It's more difficult. I mean, it's much easier to have a consensus around property cat because everybody is using roughly the same models. But this renewal has not been a story about property cat. I mean, the European renewals have been loss free and they renewed flat or slightly down, the US renewals flat or slightly up. This has been a story about the renewal in all the specialty lines and single risk classes. And there, it's a much, much more about understanding the original portfolios, what's happening, what the seeding companies are doing. And of course, reinsurers will have their very divergent view on that. And we, we, we've seen it in the long-tailed U.S. casualty lines, which have been distressed. Everybody knows that very well. But we're also seeing some quite dramatic remedial action being taken by the primary companies in those classes. Now, reinsurers' interpretation of what those changes mean is inevitably different. Some of them are very happy. They look at that. They think this is good. This is actually going to return the class to profitability. Now is the time to continue to support and or maybe offer more capacity. There are others, for their own underwriting reasons, and their own structure of their portfolios, look at that and say, look, it's not enough. I've got a problem. I've got back here runoff. I'm going to be out of the class of business. So that is where we see that divergence coming. Um, and certainly in some of the more distressed classes, um, there are some different opinions about really whether the underwriting changes are sufficient. So this is more, would you say, it's fair to say it's more like a, a remedying market uh, and the, the different remedies for different, uh, for different uh, ailments? Yes, I think that's probably a fair, <laughs> a fair way of looking at it. And it's interesting, I'd like to just to look at this dynamic between the primary and the reinsurance world. I mean, how much, so quite a lot of this... Uh, is primary companies doing their own remedying and the reinsurers just being happy that the remedying is yep. going to be fine, particularly in proportion, let's say, and then we can just ride along? 
or, 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 or there and thereabouts. And how much is um, the reinsurance tail sort of wagging the insurance dog? Or are there any examples of that? Um, I think in a lot of the long tail lines, that's exactly correct. It, the, the remedial work is being taken by the primary companies um, and the reinsurers are happy to follow along. I mean, what's interesting is that there's this quite delicate dynamic between um, the improvement in the original underwriting and then the terms and conditions on the pro rata placements. Because some reinsurers have been saying, yes, we appreciate the changes you're making in your original underwriting, but we need a bit of relief on the treaty terms. And some primary companies have said, no, you're getting the improvement in the underlying. Um, We want to stick our commission terms as they are at the moment. And by the way, Mr. Reinsurer, if you're not happy with that, it doesn't really matter because we're prepared to retain it because we have sufficient confidence in, in the portfolio is beginning to remediate. And the delicate point for reinsurers will be if the quota shares begin to dry up and get replaced with excess of loss, they will actually lose out on enjoying that uplift. So there's been a little bit of that dynamic going on. Right. Um Let's just get to the to the bones of it. Um, if a client asks you, is this a hard market, what would you say? I would say it depends on the line of business. And I would say that it's very much a market where you, the effort that you've made over the last few years to build and maintain your core reinsurer relationships will pay off if you've done that correctly. Um, and how many examples are there of, of um, you know, if... if uh, to put it in sort of crude, crude terms, is it sort of payback time for some of the clients who haven't really been there, who've been relying on the softer market time to sort of shop around and chop and change and, and, and perhaps, you know, maximise the benefit to themselves? Are they getting their comeuppance now or, or in, in a certain sense? Or I mean, this is the problem. The reinsurance market at the end of the day never really gives anybody their comeuppance. There is sufficient capacity there, maybe... They have to struggle a little bit more to get it home. Maybe the terms and conditions they get are marginally worse than somebody who's traded through. But, um, but they will have had a much more stressful renewal. I don't think there are examples of, of, of uh, more opportunistic buyers who've been left stranded. Um, what about... Um, uh, I was just going to ask you about um, the... Um, you know, that... Uh, perception of about confidence obviously you've got relationships we've got relationships and and we've had a situation uh, in recent times where um, casualty reserves have had to be strengthened in some cases we've had loss creep on some of the prominent crop property cats of the last couple of years so was there a question of confidence in in the numbers from some of the the reinsurers and is it a question that some numbers are easier to trust than others um I'm not sure it's that. I think that reinsurers are understanding of the difficulty that some of the uh, uh, seeding company clients are facing in putting up their reserves, be it on cat losses or be it on long tail business. Um, And provided the uh, seeding companies are open with their reinsurers and are sharing with them the details of their underlying portfolio and and, how they are calculating their reserves, um, I think people are relatively calm. It is true that there is probably different degrees of disclosure. But again, 
those reinsurers with close relationships with their key reinsurers are, are being pretty upcoming and about and forthcoming about what their reserving position is and why they're having to change their reserves. So I don't think it's so much a problem um, about the numbers because I think there have been some surprises for everybody, frankly. Right. Um, you, you alluded to this um, earlier, but this has been a feature perhaps of the last even, well, perhaps since the Katrina, Rita and Wilma renewal uh, of a very long time ago, um, the big geographical regions, let's say the, mm. let's say the big three, uh, North America, Europe and Asia, uh, have been for many years behaving reasonably independently of each other. Uh, and has, is that still the case now that we've got a market that's slightly tightening up? I think it's basically the case. It's still the same. I mean, we saw it on the property cat side, flat to slightly up in the US, flat to down in in Europe, and frankly down in Asia, maybe not as much as others. But to be fair, the big Asian renewals are yet to happen. Um, definitely in Europe, some of the reinsurers on the longer tail lines tried to uh, use the argument about the difficulties in their US portfolios to ask for, for, for pricing increases on long-tail European lines. That didn't work at all. Um, the European long-tail lines remained very much country-specific. Um, and Asia, well, long-tail is not really a particular issue in Asia. Um, so I think by and large... There's probably more commonality between Europe and Asia than there is between uh, North America and the other two, but there is still some differentiation between them. And I think, again, it comes down to this, this, this issue that the market is still well capitalised, and so individual companies and individual classes of business and territories are being written on their own on merit, and somewhere like Asia particularly the one one renewals for the some of the smaller territories there's a, the, the, there's the capital is there's a wash with capital right okay let's um let's talk about some more um more specific uh classes of business that were noteworthy uh, i was looking in the report obviously we had some a lot of activity in aviation mm. is anything you can elucidate more on that yes i mean it's interesting if you look at the report the headline rate increases on the aviation excess of loss are the largest of all. I think we're saying they're up to 75%. But actually, the underlying economics for aviation underwriters, despite those huge increases, are actually improving because what it's masking is is the enormous increase in the original aviation rates. Um, so that is a market which... I think one of my colleagues said they've had 19 years of soft market is finally beginning to, to, to change. It's a very niche market, so it reacts quite quickly when it has to. But it's also a market where quite a lot of overcapacity has come out. Um, and you know, underwriters who are still there are beginning to address the, the, the issues that they've got within that market. Um, other, um, yeah, other, I just want... You know, it was an interesting contrast with marine, which again is a challenged class and has not been making much money for anybody mm. for, for quite a while as well. And again, subject to a lot of remedial action, perhaps also at Lloyd's and in many places, one would have expected um, mm. a, you know, a, a, a pricier renewal, a harder renewal. Um, but that isn't what, quite what transpired. But can you sort of uh, fill in more detail? No, I think again, I mean, if you look at the, the difference between aviation and marine, is aviation very large limits are put out, 
I mean, the, avi- the aviation liability and aviation hulls, the limits are big. And so when things go wrong, the claims are big. Relatively speaking, on the hull and cargo business, that's, it's just not the same. Now, obviously, another slightly difficult area is the energy market, where, again, you've got, like aviation, you've got some very, very big limits put out there. Um, so it's a much less well-balanced market. So, so the aviation's just got to, because they've got to get up to two or three billion, uh, they just have to pay. Uh, yes. Whereas marine, I suppose, the liability is taken care of by the P&I clubs, and uh, that's slightly different. Uh, it's, it's different. I mean, in the airlines, they have to have these limits or their planes can't fly. Yep. Okay. What about any other noteworthy uh, we were reading about, obviously, in the UK, UK motor market, again, with the Ogden rate tables and all the stuff that the no. insurance press has been writing about for the last two and a half years? Any, yeah. any effects there? That was that seemed to be quite noteworthy. Yes, I mean, I think that the reinsurance market is disappointed by what finally has come out of the Ogden. If you look back this time last year, most reinsurers were hoping that Ogden would be revised to flat or maybe marginally positive, but settling at a, at a, a 0.75% discount was a blow, and that has to be reflected in the pricing. Um, so that has been quite a demanding renewal. Um, and it's been a renewal where uh, there not much, if any, new capacity has come into that market. It's been the existing reinsurers battling their way through. Um, and it, I'm sure it will it will settle down, but the last few years have been bumpy. Um, but provided, I guess, Ogden does stabilise the, the numbers given, people will get used to it and it'll calm down. There, will, there was mention of a perfect storm there in, in the report. Is that? Um, can you give us a bit more detail about why that why that would be? There's Ogden's one, one piece of the pie, but uh, anything else? Well, I mean, I think you've also got in the UK, you've got an I- increase in, in um, severity as well, which doesn't help. Um, and we all know the UK motor market is, is, is one of the most competitive markets in the world. So inevitably, it's going to be exposed to these these uh, uh, issues a lot more than others. Another really small but really interesting market that uh, perhaps, maybe it's unfair, but journalists give it perhaps too much attention, but the retro market is always, is always fascinating. It's a, such a fascinating and opaque world that it probably attracts journalists more than any other. Um, what's been going on there? Because we've got so many dynamics. We've got ILS, uh, having slightly stalled this year uh, with trapped capital. We've had loss creep. We've had all sorts of factors. Can you sort of navigate some of that and see, tell us what happened uh, and how it's stacked up? Well, you can comment on what's happened so far at 1-1, but obviously retro is not just a 1-1 renewal, so there's a lot more to play out. Um, it's clear that the... Uh, Aggregate retrocession and some of the collateralized quota share capacity had just performed very poorly over the last three years. And the ILS markets, who were primarily backing that, have withdrawn largely from that class. There were various attempts to raise fresh capital um, in the ILS markets to support. They all came to naught. Um, having said that, I think that m- most of the reinsurers who are heavier buyers of retrocession, had already factored that into their thinking. They recognised that these products that they'd enjoyed over the last couple of years were probably unlikely to be renewed. So there's been a move much more back to occurrence-type cover. 
Now, that may be some people never bought aggregates. They always had occurrence covers, and they've maintained good relationships with their retrocessionaires. Those people have seen relatively smooth renewals. Yes, they've paid rate increases. That's carried forward. But it was also interesting to note that the ILS market is prepared um, to provide capacity to occurrence form um, um, 144A structured public cap bonds. And there have been a couple of, 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 of successful bonds issued. Um, and I think one of the key factors around that is not just the transparency of the bond and the way it's structured, but crucially that structure accesses a much wider um, ILS market community. The people who were prepared to uh, back collateralized was a much smaller sector of the market. So that and and so the what was the collateralized uh, retro market is is it it's still is it still there or has it been blown away? Um, well, <laughs> this is where you get down to the trapped capital. There is still some there. Um, a good chunk of its capital is clearly still trapped. And, you know, we will have to wait and see what happens during 2020, maybe as some of these big claims that happened in 2019 become a little bit clearer, and whether um, the, the, the buyers will actually agree to release capital. Great. Um, I want to ask you now, the really big picture would be, would the reinsurance industry as a whole be happier uh, as of one one, uh, with its underlying the underlying risk reward theoretical profitability of its book uh, at one one twenty twenty as opposed one one twenty nineteen. I mean, have they have they improved the the profitability theoretical profitability of of that underlying book now at this renewal? Yes, I think they have. I think that if you put cat aside, um, which is you know talked about the whole time, but it's a small part of the market. I think most reinsurers will feel uh, that they have moved the ball forward. Now, the challenge for them is that on an underwriting year basis, it will look better. But their problem is actually what their back years are looking like and how those will feed through on, onto, on, a, on, a, uh, on a calendar year basis to what they have to report. I think some of them will be disappointed they didn't make more progress, um, but they're definitely not going backwards on their whole portfolios. Good, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you again about what's it like being a broker this renewal. Just, just um, <laughs> presumably you've all had to work a bit harder than usual, and you're glad that you've got strength and depth in numbers. Um, but if you've got a more fragmented market, presumably that's more phone, more phone calls, more uh, negotiating, more arm, arm wrestling, and that kind of stuff. Um, I think this year was quite interesting because it's not been easy during the, the initial stages and in the quoting process to find the market clearing price. Because of this divergence of views, there has been um, certainly away from the cat classes quite different opinions. And so advising clients and judging where the point is to go at the firm order terms has not been that straightforward. Um, in terms of Capacity, once firm orders are given, by and large, things have got home. There have been a, a few shortfalls, um, but not many. And clients on the whole have been happy. Do you think you've done your job of, of preparing them for a harder market or, or for a more difficult renewal than they've been used to in the last decade? 
Well, I mean, we spend a lot of time trying to manage our client expectations. So I'd like to say, of course, we think we've done it a great job at doing that. I mean, we can always do better. But I think that there were one or two disappointments that, uh, um, you know, reinsurers in the run up to the renewal at Monte Carlo and Baden Baden and, you know, some of the US conferences were all giving a similar signal. And most of them stuck with that. There were one or two who further shifted their position, particularly on long tail business right at the end, which that was a that was a disappointment because we thought that's okay. You may have a different view on long tail business, but you should have been articulating that, you know, several months previously. But by and large, I think reinsurers they they set out their stall. So there weren't that many surprises. And actually, going into some of the detail of the, of the, the longer tail, um, there was a detail in the, your report uh, saying that, that the underlying primary long tail, this mostly US casualty, mm. is likely to be um, hardening for years to come. Uh, where's that coming from? Well, I think the problem, it, it's not just US casualty. I think it's a problem with all long tail classes. You start to address the rating now, but at the same time, you're still looking, you've got your back years developing. You're probably not sure yet on where your back year development, your ultimates will be, and therefore what you should be pricing into the new business going forward. So it will take, I think, a number of years before it becomes clear that the current increasing pricing is sufficient or whether some more pricing or terms and condition changes are needed in order to ensure a long-term sustainable profitability. So certainly the next couple of years, we're going to have to watch very, very closely the way that reinsurers deal with their reserving situation on some of these back years. Some of them may take a kitchen sink approach and try and do it all in one go. Others may try to bleed it all through gently and sort of and not say hide, but anyway, minimise the reserving increase using the improving underwriting. So we will we will wait to see, but so it will take time for so this it's really to fit a, it's, it's, a, it's about uncertainty, and uncertainty ends up costing money usually to take away. Yeah? Yes, and I think you know when, and I think the other challenge is of course these rate increases are coming in. That's absolutely fantastic. The premiums coming in, but what are people actually going to invest it in? And particularly on long tail classes, that's absolutely crucial. Um, and that is a big worry, a big worry for reinsurers. What returns can they make with an acceptable risk reward? Excellent. Um, looking forward, um, obviously, um, well, James, you're known as being one of one of the authorities on the Japanese market. We've, it's only another quarter. We're only a quarter away from 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 one four, of course. What do you take out of this? Um, you know, we've got this. This is the biggest renewal of the year, the biggest amount of data that's generated for all of your your analysts. When they crunch all those numbers, what what are you then what insights are you then going to be able to, you know, when you get on a plane to Tokyo or whatever in, in, in January and February, what are you going to be able to telling uh, your, your your clients over in Asia to expect? Well, we'll be saying to them exactly what we say to, you know, our, all of our clients. I mean, this is this is the year where those people who've invested in their long-term reinsurer relationships, and this is the year it pays off. Um, and, you know, listen carefully to what the reinsurers have to say um, and try and find a suitable compromise way through that, that recognises 
the issues that both parties have. Um, and I think that that for us has been that key message, that client-centric, both underwriting, but also for seeding companies, client-centric approach to their uh, reinsurer-centric approach to their reinsurers has paid dividends, and we can clearly point to, to some buyers who've had much smoother renewals at 1-1 because they have had that long-term strategy towards their reinsurers. And I suppose uh, that bodes rather well for Japanese clients who've universally acknowledged as being very good and solid partners uh, uh, who you know va- value long-term relationships. Well, let's hope so. This is the time we shall find out. <laughs> Excellent. Um, is there anything else that uh, we we haven't discussed that perhaps we should discuss, James? I, th- you know, the only other, you know, there are a couple of other little classes of business are probably worth mentioning, um, which don't get a lot of airtime. One is engineering, um, where again the results are turning out to be really very poor on the back years. Um, this and including construction? Yes, construction, um, particularly in the long-term projects. There's been some enormous changes in that market at the front end, large reductions in gross capacity, um, and also substantial improvements in the original underwriting. Again, it's going to be like some of the longer-tail US classes. It'll be one that'll take a number of years before people gain confidence that, that, that what is being done, the remedial action being applied today is going to result in a satisfactory result in the future. But that, again, was a really clear example of most of the engineering businesses on a, on a pro rata quota share basis. And those seeding companies who have maintained decent relationships have, have seen the advantage of that. And they've managed to renew their treaties in a form that they wanted for this renewal. And there was um, the um, Chilean riots and strikes uh, situation. Is that, did that cause um, a ripple through the Latin American market at all? Uh, not yet. Um, that's that, mid-year. That, that will be something that we'll watch playing out. I think, you know, speculation about how big the original claims are, what form they're going to take, that needs to work it, you know, on a primary basis needs to be uh, clarified and then how that will then subsequently find its way or not into the reinsurance market is not completely clear yet. Right, and this uh, Willis Re First View uh, Markets Diverge 1-1 uh, Renewals Report, where can we find that? That is on our website, the Willis Re website, and it will be posted... Um, Tomorrow, excellent. And tomorrow, by by tomorrow, we're, we're talking we, we're about January. That we're talking about January the second, aren't we? Yes, we are. Excellent. I'm sure by the time you hear this, um, it, will, it will it will be up there. So it only remains for me to thank very much uh, James for uh, all his, uh, his his wonderful insight, uh, and thank you all of you for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. There are more podcasts and opinion pieces available on thevoiceofinsurance.com. This was a production uh, by Mark Gagan with original music by Anna Gagan. There's a link to the Willis Ree First View report on willistowerswatson.com and it should be attached uh, to the link that brought you to this podcast. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 